You are listening to pilots from One Plant Podcast interview with Dieter Lescotvind, expert in circular economy, chair of the Danish Design Council, and the managing partner of the Circular Way. This podcast is supported by the Yamashevsky Foundation. So, not coming from a design and architecture background myself, I stumbled a little bit into the realm of design and particularly the built environment. And what I just continuously saw was that. By putting design first, it really enables us to shape a future that we don't yet know, but we need to be super tactile and practical about it as well. And then seeing that is something that design very much has the ability to do. And at the same time, having this growing frustration that wherever you go, whoever you talk to, sustainability was a compromise. It was something that meant uglier, less convenient, more expensive, all these different things. But then diving into the Danish design heritage, seeing that what set them apart was that after the world wars, they had a social purpose of democratizing and rebuilding the welfare state. And that was not something that lessened the final result. On the contrary, it heightened the ambition and the final design and the solutions. So I was really inspired by that, that seeing that there's actually both from uh, the products are still circulated today. So from a very tactile perspective of the individual products, but also, of course, from the philosophical perspective of reading, having seen the planetary boundaries as a positive creative constraint and not being afraid to challenge the system and really looking towards how do we once again go back to having a focus on use rather than exchange value. And thus, for me, it became a way to make something which is unfortunately a bit difficult, like we, because we talk about systems change and we want that. But what might that look like? How might it smell? What might it feel like? All of these different things that is difficult for us to imagine currently. The Danish design heritage, I'm not saying it solves everything, but it does provide tangible perspectives on what that world might look like and how we might go about shaping it. So what I wanted to share was actually from the seventh chapter in the book, and it's a manifest for design in the Anthropocene. So I'll share a bit of the intro to the manifesto and just some of the principles. Does the world need another design object? Yes, it most certainly does. However, unfortunately, a large part of the designs made today, we could have very well been without, mainly because it's been made to drive exchange rather than use value the result being limited problem-solving and improvement for the user and society at large, but with high gains for the financial sector as a driver for sales. Did we really need that new color? So design and designers are at a crossroads and face a choice. A choice of rather design is a nice add-on, or if it's a necessary part of rethinking the rules of the game to create new solutions, not just doing less harm, but creating improvement for a global population while staying within the planetary boundaries. Because with our entrance to the Anthropocene, it's painfully obvious that we have the power to destroy. So it is our choice if we wish to stay on a trajectory of destruction and despair, or if we wish to reclaim our power and use design as a force for good and work towards repair and ultimately towards reimagining a regenerative world, using the unique abilities of design to shape the future. So it's a choice for design, rather it wishes to be a world maker or world breaker. And I think you can guess what my answer is. And that's why, inspired by the likes of Coughlin and his philosophy of combining tradition with new practices and innovation, I created this manifest of 10 principles for design in the Anthropocene, bringing together the collective wisdom of both the heritage, my practical experience, as well as that of current designers and not least progressive system thinkers such as Donna Haraway and Christiana Figueres. 
to pave the way for design to be a world maker. The purpose being to once again channel human ingenuity to spark creativity and action. So a manifest for designers to use, but also for society and business at large to learn from and be inspired by to create improvement in whatever profession one might be. Because the good news is that we have that possibility. And however dire our global situation is, it is also an opportunity for us to regain our creative force. And as we already learned from the Danish design heritage, social purpose can be a positive creative constraint and combined with the tactility of design, raise the level of ambition and shape even better solutions that create global prosperity within our planetary boundaries. And so just to f- finish off, I'll just share a few of the principles without going into to details, but it's viewing the planetary boundaries as a positive creative constraint, not being afraid of staying the trouble, that it's most likely simple, that it's imperfect, and it's design that cares. And for me, I think that there's, of course, a lot of things when you move to the design of the individual product or the business model or system or what might it be, but also just from an initial point of that ability to stay with the trouble, which is a notion that I borrowed from Donna Haraway, but I think it really relates to design and designers' ability to get comfortable in really exploring the problem from all of the different ways one might address it. And that really matters because I think, unfortunately, what we see today, a lot of our solutions ends up being something that treats the symptom, but doesn't actually go to the sort of the root cause of the problem and really addresses the context around it. So I think it's something that design has the ability to do. We just need to maybe relearn it and use it more. And then the second part being the intentionality of design that, you know, unfortunately, as I mentioned in the chapter, we now use it more as a sort of driver for sales or the exchange value of as soon as a product leaves the store, there's not a lot of value left. But if we go back to a focus on use value and creating value for people while staying within the planetary boundaries, there's that opportunity within design as design always questions everything, right? Whether it's a teacup or a school or whatever you're designing, you're consciously making choices of the shape, the color, everything is up for discussion and for debate, which I think if we look at the amount of things that we take for granted as being natural natural when in fact it's social constructions that could be different there's really something in utilizing that opportunity of intentionality to ask those questions and not just take things for granted as a natural state yes and one of your principles at the circular way which you're head of is designing the world of tomorrow with the waste of today while designing a world without waste and that's something of what you're addressing but just help us really understand that it makes us break our existing economic notions right yeah so for me that's the issue of where we are today that there's a duality in we have to have really ambitious long-term goals of that fundamental systemic change where we're no longer designing for waste as we unfortunately do today. Really looking towards a regenerative society, including that we have more or less designed out waste completely. And that's where we need to go. But as you also just touched upon with how we're how we're progressing in terms of climate change and temperature rise, but also biodiversity and, and planetary boundaries in general, we can't only think of the good of the future. We also need to think of, okay, what can we do to today and tomorrow. They really matter from that perspective, but also just that we're so close to the tipping points that we really need to just do a lot today. So if we'd really started, let's say 20 years ago, the solution space would look different than it does today. And that's why 
some of the work that we've really been involved with in the circular way, but also in Linnea, the circular way, which is the entity that has been doing a lot of material innovation. So taking waste streams, particularly in my plastics, textiles, you name it, that were of the lowest grade. So would either be incinerated or landfill and then turning them into new products via design. And so that's, in my perspective, a good thing to do for the short term because we want to make sure that it's not incinerated and it stays in use as long as possible. But of course, in a future world, we wouldn't want those materials becoming waste in the first place. And that's a duality that we need to be mindful of continuously. How do we create that short-term progress, but without just continuously enabling the wrong solution? So from my perspective and the sort of one thing being designing the products and the value chain around it, but also the business model around it, having a focus on not doing a lot of CapEx investing so that if you do that, you end up having a certain amount of years before you have your return of investment. And then you actually rely on that waste stream being available for that amount of time. And then you end up being part of problem rather than solution could be the case at least. So really figuring out how do we solve all those short-term challenges and designing with the waste that we have while being mindful of not ending up essentially just reproducing the existing system that we have today. And I think circular economy holds a great opportunity and I think it's a necessary part of the solution space. But we do also need to be mindful that when it comes to absolute sustainability, effects so far have been limited because there is also that challenge of it rather than challenging the existing systems, it becomes an enabler of business as usual. Because if you're a fashion company, it could be an example. And you know, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter that we have a lot of debt stock going, not even reaching the consumer, because at least we have, we can turn it into a new product in a new way stream. And that's, of course, not where we need to go. We need to continuously and always be mindful of reduce. That's the starting point that if we want to be sure that we're staying within the planetary boundaries, reduce is the easiest way to go. And then I think other really interesting one is the replace materials. So all of the bio-based materials that are starting to come into use again, I think that it's almost innovation by remembrance because we used to use hemp and wood and all of these materials much more than we do today. But so there's a great opportunity there. And then also for having storage of carbon within our materials. And then as we look to the future, not a lot of years to the future, but a few years, you see all this next generation of bio-based materials. So mycelium being a key example of that but there's a lot going on there where you can either see new materials or that we learn to bioengineer some of the materials the first generation bio-based materials that we have today and so once we start being able to do that creates another opportunity again but going back to the point of we do need to design with the waste that we have and so for me i've created this sort of simple model for us to work with in just having the four r's the circular way which is there's this overarching r that isn't part of the four because it should always be part of the puzzle which is rethinking so really being mindful of how do we rethink the product and the system and have a focus on use rather than exchange value but then when we move from there there's reuse reduce recycle and replace and as mentioned with reduce we're really quite certain of staying within the planetary boundaries with reuse we're also in a pretty good place and with recycling we are most likely a bit further from staying within the planetary boundaries so while absolutely a necessary tool we need to be mindful that it's not the perfect solution and if we can work with either reduce or reuse we should we hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlight of this podcast. If you would like to get involved 
and One Plant Podcast or learn more about environmental projects. Click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.